Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. My name is Will Patch. I'm Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche. This is one of our special audio cast episodes. What that just means is we're taking one of our webinars that we do each month and we're converting it over to a podcast so that it makes it a little easier for you. This conversation is one of our screenside chats with Nick Dukoff from Edmit. We're going to talk about financial aid, uh, how to leverage that, and really how to be transparent in your awarding and what that means to families. So let's dive right in. I want to say thank you today for the screenside chat. I'll be talking to Nick Dukoff from Edmit. Uh, Nick, if you just want to give a, a quick bio and, and explain to people what Edmit is, just in case they don't know. Sure. Thanks, Will. Hi, everybody. My name is Nick Dukoff. As Will mentioned, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Edmit. Edmit helps students and their families make smarter college and career decisions uh, while they're still in high school. So helping them get all the information they need up front uh, to make better informed decisions, leading to better outcomes, both after high school and ultimately after college. Prior to starting Edmit, I was the vice president for new ventures at Northeastern University where I was responsible for corporate innovation across the institution, uh, both in Boston, as well as all of our global campuses. Great. So a, a good pedigree for talking about affordability and, and ways that we're innovating. Just a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, this is being recorded, as I mentioned, for those who are here a little bit earlier. I'm going to be posting the recording of this uh, either later this afternoon or tomorrow morning uh, to the Enrollment Insights blog. You'll get a link to that recording. So if you want to follow up, share it with others. Uh, there'll also be shared in podcast form. So if you want to be able to listen or share it out that way, uh, and then any additional insights we have, we'll make sure to get those in as well. So let's just jump right in. First question here, you know, what are you seeing in terms of user behavior changes uh, on Edmit over the past year? You know, it's been a very stressful time for families. Uh, are there any trends that can help enrolled professionals prepare and serve families? Yeah, so a, a few things. So looking at the National Student Clearinghouse data that uh, indicated uh, student applications were down 13% last year. Uh, ECMC has done some preliminary surveys that uh, indicate they may be down similarly. Uh, however, uh, new student clearinghouse data, which I actually just saw this morning, uh, seems to indicate a decrease of just 7% this year. However, that only accounts for 14% of high schools that have uh, responded uh, to their preliminary research. Um, and I saw also recently that only two in five graduating high school seniors have applied for FAFSA. Um, that's not tremendously uh, lower than in prior years, but it is a little bit lower. And so when you look at all those things, you know, I think we can expect um, numbers to be a little bit lower this year, but perhaps not as, not as bad as, you know, uh, many had expected, which is great for colleges. Um, and then with respect to what we're seeing with respect to user data, obviously this is uh, another test optional year um, and students I think are really truly uh, settling into that and taking advantage of that. Um, the Common App has reported that only 44% uh, of applicants have submitted test score data and our uh, data at Edmit uh, shows something very similar. Only about a quarter uh, of our students have submitted test score data. Um, so they may be trying to understand, okay, if I don't submit the data, you know, what is, what is my expected price going to be? You know, how is that going to be affected? You know, they may do some, um, you know, kind of scenario planning, uh, to see, okay, well, if it was this, what would it be? If it was that, what would it be? Um, and then with respect to, um, how test scores affect which colleges students are applying to, 
Uh, if you read the newspaper, you certainly know uh, that Ivy League seemed to be the big winner with respect to a test optional. Um, and our data shows that uh, accounts with at least one Ivy League school on their list are up 60% this year. Wow. Wow. Do you think how much of that is the students think it's easier now that they don't have to submit a test score? We know that's I not that's the a case, big. But. I think that's a big, big uh, component for sure. Yeah, there's there's going to be some real conversations uh, around all this. It'll be interesting to see how everything shakes out. Next up here, I'm, this is the the big question always: is how do we innovate? And I think this goes back to sort of your background. What are some really innovative things that colleges are doing? Uh, you know, how are they adapting either aid policies uh, or maybe just outreach and, and communications in general to address the concerns that students and parents have over the past year? Yeah, so I think there are three, you know, kind of buckets of, of different types of innovation that I'll talk about. I'm sure I'm missing many, so I'd also love to hear from uh, the hundred or so, hundred or so folks that are, have joined us today uh, about what they're seeing. Um, you've got folks like Grove City College, and well, thanks for pointing me to them. There are a number like them that are providing more transparent pricing, where they're saying, "Hey, here's our price." Um, you know, this is um, kind of like CarMax, where you know th this is the price, this is the price you pay. You know, you're not going to haggle, you're not going to negotiate, you're not going to get any discounting, but it's a fair price, and 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 this is how we've arrived at it. Mm -hmm. um, I think more transparency with respect to. Uh, how that is uh, pricing is determined is is something that we're seeing more of. Then you've got schools like DePaul, that's DePaul with a W, a university in Indiana that are making promises about what happens after graduation. So their gold commitment ensures that alumni uh, value uh, their degree and that it maintains its value. And so you are seeing more schools um, make claims and statements about um, the value of the degree and their commitment to ensure that students have jobs and a jobs that can pay off the student debt after they graduate. And then the third are, um, you know, the colleges that are um, adopting income share agreements. Purdue's back a boiler program, of course, being, you know, among the first and, and, and most notable, but um, more and more colleges are adding um, those types of alternative financing uh, options. Um, all the time. Oh. And one thing that I know has come up in the past is the tuition resets and, and these programs. Uh, Utica, I think, was the one that got the most press a number of years ago, uh, where they dramatically lower the cost, readjust to aid. Do you think we're going to see some of that as well? And what are the, what are the pros and cons of that? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think that schools that have done these tuition resets have, have unfortunately seen that the consumer behavior doesn't change. Consumers still expect <clears throat> additional discounting. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a behavior that, um, you know, thanks to uh, folks like Ron Lieber, who recently published uh, The Price You Pay for College, and Jeff, Jeff Salingo, who gets into college and why, um, you know, students and their families are, are becoming increasingly educated about uh, how, you know, net price works, how merit and discounting works, that, they, that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, and I think all of that um, affects uh, how schools are thinking about their published price. And unfortunately, you know, the, the early data from schools that have done um, price resets shows that um, those tend to not be particularly successful. Perhaps in, in driving more applicants, they are, mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily with respect to driving net revenue. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be 
I, I think there will probably be a few schools that try and take that leap, right? But I don't know what they'll do. They'll do it differently. I think it's that, that saying that, well, it hasn't worked for anyone else, but hey, it may work for us. <laughs> right. This time it's different. Yes. <laughs> uh, this was a good question that came in. You know, if you're a school that is affordable, and that can mean different things to different families, of course, but if you're affordable, but you don't want to get that association of being cheap, what are the key ways to talk about finances with students and families to help share that value? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of public colleges do this really well, where they will, you know, kind of publish a, um, a matrix of how uh, their discounting works. So, you know, it'll say, you know, in the pre-test um, optional time, it used to have like a GPA on one axis and an SAT on the other axis and kind of show you, okay, if your GPA is 4.0 and you have a 1600, you know, here's what you can expect to pay. And if your GPA is a 3.0 and you have, you know, a 1200, here's what you can expect to pay. Um, there are a number of uh, state colleges that um, um, there, there is legislation that requires them to be transparent about how uh, their merit and discounting works. Um, and I think private schools would be well advised to adopt similar practices. People want to know what they're going to pay. Um, and the more transparency schools provide, I think the more trust they'll engender with the consumer. Yeah, that's a good one. That's, you know, how do we, do you see anything in terms of the language to use? Because I think that's the thing that if you say affordable, well, to some families that you, you might think of yourself as affordable and you might be affordable, but there's families that's still out of reach. Do you talk about a value? Do you talk about a good investment? Are there, are there things you've seen there? Well, you know, there's a lot of research that shows Gen Z is, you know, much more financially conservative than um, millennials in prior generations, in part because they grew up with, the, you know, seeing their parents struggle through the Great Recession 2008 to 2010. And more recently, um, as teenagers have seen, you know, the challenges, um, you know, during this past year, uh, during the course of the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, the research does indicate that Gen Z responds very well to transparency, responds very well to value. Um, and I think that that's, you know, really um, what they're looking for. You know, if you're familiar with Danny Kenneman's research around loss aversion, um, Gen Z, I, I think, really um, uh, responds well to loss aversion. So if you can reduce their downside, I think that they will respond much more favorably to that than giving them. Um, you know, um, uh, upside, you know, I think, for example, you know, to say, um, you'll, you'll earn $50,000 more than your peers. I, I think that's less attractive to Gen, Gen Z than saying, um, you'll have 50,000 less debt than your peers, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way of framing it. I think, you know, everyone wants to talk about our, our starting salaries, things like that. And that can be good if most of your students are coming from a local area, right? But I'm in Indiana, and so my the, the starting salaries around here are very different than Boston or New York or LA. You know, I think talking about it in terms of that what you won't be losing might be a better way of framing it. Have you seen anyone doing that well? I can't say that I have. Mm -hmm. Well, those not, where to, we, say, we not to say it's not out there. I'm sure it is, yeah. and I'd love to hear from folks on the call, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I haven't. Okay. 
similarly here, how can both colleges and counselors help educate students and parents about the difference between price and cost? I know this is a little bit of what you do at EdMet even, just it's that education portion too. Yeah, you know, one of the things we've seen over the last few years since we started EdMet is there's just been a wholesale adoption um, at the high school level by both individual educators as well as uh, school leaders and, and districts um, to promote financial education, uh, both on the personal finance side, you know, this is like financial literacy, but also with respect to um, understanding college pricing and earnings outcomes and the range of those from, you know, um, two-year colleges, four-year colleges, um, shorter-term uh, programs, uh, CTE, um, and really helping students understand what the kind of range of options look like for them and that there's not, you know, that one isn't, you know, inherently better than another. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> taking some of, you know, the stigma away from folks that do pursue a non-college path um, and also recognizing that folks that are pursuing that college path um, inevitably are probably going to have to take out some amount of student debt which is absolutely top of mind um, for students and families. Um, a, uh, let me just make sure I get this right. I've got a note here. Um, so a, a recent Princeton Review survey had a majority of students and parents saying that affordability and dealing with the debt burden that comes with a degree is their number one concern with respect to where they attend college. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, it's top of mind for everyone. It was the primary concern. And I think the past 12 months now, I guess, have made that even more so. Um, are there any, any other good pieces of advice for how we talk to students and how we make sure that they're aware of what that means? And that debt is not the, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but having too much certainly can limit you. Yeah, so there's kind of, two parts of that. One is, you know, the kind of price net cost. The second is kind of the debt and ROI and whether it's worth that, that kind of big question of whether it's worth it is called, is it worth it for me? Um, with respect to the, the cost and net price, you know, there are an increasing number of um, providers that uh, enable students to get a better sense for what their total net price might be at a given college. You know, companies like Admit but also companies like Tuition Fit and others uh, enable students to, you know, begin to see uh, what other students like them have, you know, paid in either the same uh, application year or prior application years. Mm -hmm. um, and those are becoming, you know, increasingly accurate representations of what, you know, students might expect to pay. And in, in many cases are, are more accurate than the net price calculators on the college's own websites. Um, it, you know, for, for many reasons, including those tend to only show financial aid and don't include any merit aid or discounting. On the question with respect to how to educate students around student debt and ROI, uh, I've actually been writing a lot about this recently uh, for, for Ed Surgeon Inside Higher Ed. Uh, the unfortunate reality is there really isn't a widely adopted or well understood um, you know, formula for college ROI. There's a variety of, of different ways to kind of think about that. The rule of thumb that we typically use and how we advise students is that they shouldn't take more debt total than they expect to earn in their first year after graduating school. And that's, you know, a fairly kind of simple thing to say, don't take more debt than you're going to earn. 
but in, it, that's actually quite complex to calculate. So you need to basically figure out what are you going to be able to bring to the table to pay down your tuition bills over the next four years? What do you even expect those tuition bills to be? What will your total gap be over those four years? Right? What are the different interest rates you might expect to pay? Right? And then on the other side of the equation with respect to earnings after college, getting program level earnings outcomes data is, is still something that requires a bit of finesse. You know, colleges recently have begun reporting at that level um, uh, in the college scorecard, but the data is still pretty thin. Um, so, um, you know, folks like Edmund and others who have, you know, done work to aggregate um, and create those data sets that can help students understand what their post-graduation earnings for a given school and major might be uh, are helpful to, to at least give a student a sense of um, what happens to me after I graduate? Yeah, it, it's putting a lot on students to be able to look at this, put it all together. I mean, if they're trying to do it on their own and they're trying to think, well, what's my earning going to be and what's the what's the landscape going to be in four years or if they're getting graduate degrees six or eight years uh, after I graduate high school? It's just a lot. And, and how many how many high school kids sit around with amortization tables either to figure all this out of what's my monthly payment going to look like? And, yeah, well, how many parents? Probably not much, many more, right? I mean, it's, you know, the the reality is this is complicated. Um, they're very high search costs. This isn't something you do a whole lot. Um, so you don't really have enough at-bats to get good at it. Um, so it really is important that we're providing uh, the right amount of financial education so that students and their families can make well-informed decisions because it's a big investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the piece that, it's hard to talk about. It's hard for families to calculate is, yeah, you have these earnings, but what value do you place on, on the, the softer parts of it, the qualitative pieces, you know, the personal development, the connections you make, all these pieces that we like to talk about in admissions, what value do you place on those? Or do you place a value on those? And that's where things get even muddier, I think. For sure. I think, you know, also from a societal perspective, I think we want, to empower people to be, to, to have the opportunity to be educated uh, at college mm-hmm. and all of the great things that come from that. Yeah, whether that's two year, four year, career and technical, that there's a lot of value in just growing as well. Uh, in Mitch's fall survey of the class of 2021, we had 92% of students report that they had fear and anxiety right now most frequent just being that they they were concerned about being able to afford the college at which they were choosing to enroll. You know, that anxiety can easily convert over to from a perceived problem of I might have problem into an actual problem. So how are you seeing colleges address that? Well, uh, you know, we did see the recent uh, Biden uh, legislation that has a lot of money for uh, emergency aid. And I think, um, you know, thanks to work by uh, Sarah Goldrick Rabb and, and others, um, you know, there's an increasing spotlight on uh, the need for emergency aid to help ensure that students um, that are you know, running out of money while they're in school don't. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and there's, you know, going to be a, a, a big set of um, money uh, available to colleges to help support students that are. Um, you know, unfortunately experiencing that pain. Um, what can we do to better educate students um, beforehand with respect to helping them understand 
to to your earlier question, um, or maybe this is a later one. I you know I admit I've seen the question, so apologies. But you know the difference between price and cost, right? And that um, there's a lot more to cost than there is to price, um, mm-hmm. because you know there's all, a whole host of things that people need to pay for um, that they may not um, you know truly have thought about and, and set aside the money for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next up here in, in Niche's recent parent survey, um, they primarily reported uh, that they were paying, or if they were helping their students, I should qualify, if they were helping their students pay for college, they primarily reported they were paying with income, savings, loans, but only 18% said they were using a 529 plan. Mm-hmm. These can be very beneficial, uh, but why do you think there's still such a lag in the use of 529 plans? Uh, and then what can colleges, independent counselors, school counselors do to help increase adoption? So 529 plans, I actually just did some research on 529 plans, and uh, I learned that um, the average 529 plan has something in the order of magnitude of $20,000 in it. Um, and when you think of that, you just said, you know, less than 20%, so that's one out of five, right? Uh, have a 529 plan at all. And then the average 529 plan has $20,000 in it. Now, I don't mean to say that's not a lot of money. It sure is. But $20,000 doesn't get you that far at most colleges. You know, we're talking maybe one semester um, or perhaps at a a state school, you know, maybe a a year. You know, very few schools where $20,000 gets you a whole year. Um, And those are the savers, right? Mm -hmm. And those are the savers. So when the savers have, you know, on average, just barely one semester set aside, um, I, I think that it just exposes how big this problem is of um, how few students are coming into college um, with enough uh, income and or savings uh, to pay for it. And this is why student debt has become such a big problem, because if you don't have the savings or income to, to pay the tuition bill, there's only one other choice, uh, mm-hmm. and that's student debt. Yeah, yeah, it's a it can be a real challenge, and you know, I, I I wonder how many people are really starting very early on, put a little bit aside with the kids one, two, three, and let that build, as opposed to oh, it's junior year, we might need to start saving and start a plan. Yeah, I, th- I think the data shows that um, folks that do have 529 plans often did start early. No. Um, no. But there's, you know, only a small number of people that, you know, especially if you think about it as a young parent just getting started, uh, you know, with young kids, you may be in your 30s, you know, maybe even late 20s. Um, you've got a lot of expenses. Your your income, you know, really probably isn't, um, you know, certainly it's in the early growth stages. It's It's not at a peak at that time. Um, and yet your expenses are probably very high. You know, kids are expensive. I've got two mm-hmm. myself. Um, and so there's just not that many folks that can um, pay their, um, you know, rent, their um, lease, their electricity um, for food, and then still have money to put in a 529 plan, um, mm-hmm. you know, in your late 20s, or early 30s. Um, that's a, that's, you know, a big ask for, for families that, uh, even if they are aware of 529 plans and want to do it, um, you know, it's just hard hard to have additional money to set aside after paying everything else at that stage. Yeah. 
and by and, the way, they probably have their own student debt that they're paying off at that point too. Yeah, they may. Yep. Um, the, the institution I worked at before, we had a program called Walk Into My Future, where we partnered with a couple other groups and would bring in first and second graders to campus and teach them about college. And because there's just such a low number of people in the area who had attended college at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that was setting up every first and second grader with a 529 plan and putting some money in it. So getting them started early, help them out. I'm just hoping there's more programs like that nationally that get the idea in people's heads. Here's what here, here's this great program. If you can set aside a little bit now, you know, you can make a big difference in 12 years. One of the tips that I've heard, um, I've thought about doing this myself is I believe it's fidelity. I have no relationship with fidelity whatsoever, mm-hmm. but I, I, I believe fidelity has a um, credit card that you can link to your 529 account and that it will take, you know, the one and a half percent, you know, kind of cash back or whatever, mm-hmm. and just put that right in, you know, your kid's 529 account. Um, and I've heard of some just tremendous success stories on Reddit of people that have, you know, really grown their kids' 529 plans through uh, just, you know, spending money as they normally would, you know, mm-hmm. but instead of that money going, you know, uh, cash back or for miles or something, it, it goes right into the kid's 529 account and it really can add up. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I, I can say we we actually do that. We have the, it's a rounding off that we're doing where I think it rounds up to the nearest dollar and it adds up a lot faster than you, than you realize. Last scheduled question here, and then we'll start, uh, if, if attendees have questions, they can start dropping them in the, in the questions tab there on the right side. Uh, but let's pull out the crystal ball. You know, we'll put on our prognosticator hats here. Is there going to be more adoption of these true cost models? You mentioned Grove City. Some of these things, uh, you know, we're seeing an increase in students reporting that they're removing colleges from consideration at all based on that published cost before aid. Uh, and now it's the for the for the first time this past fall, it was the majority of every income quintile. So even students in the top 20%, the majority of them are removing colleges from consideration. Gosh, it's so hard to say. Um, you know, I think going back to my comment around uh, Ron Lieber's price you pay for college and Jeff Salingo's um, um, where, where students get in and why, um, I think an increasing number of students and families are uh, becoming educated about how college pricing works. And I think, you know, they are becoming savvier consumers. And if you think about what happened in the automotive industry where you used to have, you know, the Kelly Blue Book, you used to have um, consumer reports. Um, the, the Kelly Blue Book, of course, would tell you, you know, what would, you know, what might the residual value of, of the car be, you know, if you're going to be mm-hmm. buying or selling it used. And then consumer reports telling you, you know, is it, you know, a quality, good quality um, automobile. Fast forward to today, you've got companies like Car Gurus and True Car, where um, you don't even have to go to the dealership. They'll they'll show you all of the recent purchases of that make and model, you know, in your geographic area, and help you uh, help find you, you know, that vehicle at you know the best price they can, mm-hmm. um, and and tell you exactly what it's worth, exactly what recent uh, prior years of that uh, car have sold for. Um, and I think that, 
um, you know, that kind of transparency is coming to higher education. Um, and so colleges that can get ahead of that and um, be more transparent and, and build more trust uh, with prospective students and parents about how, how their pricing works, um, what types of earnings outcomes they can expect, um, uh, students' uh, graduates' ability to repay student debt. You know, all that data is out there in some form or fashion, but right now, students and parents have to kind of, you know, Google around to find it uh, or go to a website like EdMet. But I think increasingly colleges that, you know, kind of put that front and center um, in their own marketing materials um, and enable students, um, you know, to really um, see it firsthand. I, I think that those schools will ultimately see more enrollments. Yeah. With the transparency, w would you recommend more just make it easy to find on the website or just go heavy handed in an email, in a print piece, whether a postcard, whatever, or, or all of the above? Well, I, I think, you know, there's this concept of like prequal, right? Mm -hmm. um, hey, um, you know, submit, uh, you know, submit your information, you know, whatever information, school, GPA, <clears throat> um, you know, maybe some other uh, information about the student with respect to um, uh, what their FAFSA uh, or EFC might be. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the FAFSA forecaster used to provide, you know, expected EFC, things like this um, to enable a student to see, all right, well, if I apply here and if my grades and if everything else kind of remains the same, you know, what can I expect? And not just in financial aid, but in financial aid and merit aid. Um, and, and not only, you know, um, have a number that it spits out, but perhaps even a, you know, this will be your offer provided that these things remain in these, within these tolerances, right? If you, you know, if your GPA is 3.4 right now and, and you maintain it, you know, at least 3.3, you know, we'll guarantee you this price if you apply here. Yeah. Um, because that's essentially what true car and car gurus do. Um, and those, those, those companies have been tremendously successful. And I think that this is the way that consumers, you know, want to shop even for homes, you know, multi hundred thousand dollar investments. Recently, Zillow made their Zestimate, which is a, um, you know, uh, a, 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 a price estimate for what a house might sell for in 20 regions around the country. They've now made the Zestimate a first cash offer. In other words, Zillow will buy your house for your Zestimate with one click, right? And so I think that that's how consumers are, are being trained to, uh, you know, purchase and sell things on the internet, not just on Amazon for, you know, $10, you know, um, you know, household item, but for, you know, $30,000 cars and $300,000 homes. So why not, you know, $100,000 colleges? Yeah, make it easy. Okay, we'll open it up here uh, for for questions, and I'll just start asking those here. For those who who have a cutoff here at one thirty, just want to thank you for attending. Uh, you'll get an email with the recording here. Uh, we'll also have a link to the podcast version if you'd rather listen. Um, but one question here, you know, when when families are being told, you know, a hundred thousand debt, things like this. How do how do we help reframe that? Because for an undergraduate education, that's almost nobody. Uh, that's the the average was closer to twenty thousand. So how do we reframe the conversation some? I, you know, I think it goes back to the rule of thumb that we use, which is don't borrow more than your expected first year earnings. And so if you know, kind of looking at 
college graduates writ, writ large, you know, if, if first year uh, post-graduation earnings are somewhere, you know, in the order of magnitude of 40, 50 K and that's the amount of debt that most, most kids should be taking as a maximum. Right. Um, and then, you know, the numbers bear that out. The average student debt is, you know, in the order of magnitude of 30, 40 K, right. Which would be below um, and thus in that acceptable range of student debt that you could expect to be able to repay, um, you know, with a typical uh, job requiring a bachelor's degree. So I think that that's probably the narrative is to say, hey, most people are taking out an appropriate amount of debt that they'll most likely be able to repay if they get a typical job for a bachelor's uh, graduate. Um, obviously, you know, there's a wide variance, though. And, you know, the way that the news works is the front page news usually isn't a mundane story about, you know, what happens most of the time. The front page news is a unique story about something that only happened just this one unusual time, right? And so um, folks see these stories, like you say, of the, you know, medical student who took out, you know, quarter million dollars in student debt. Um, you know, the the article also probably doesn't say that doctor is now making $300,000 a year, mm -hmm. right? And by the way, that's whose debt would be forgiven in many, and you know, de, you know, depending on how, um, you know, this uh, proposed legislation might work with the Biden administration. Yeah. Uh, another good one here. What are some resources that people can use, and whether that's websites or accounts to follow on different social, to keep up with affordability and costs, and how do we how do we keep track of all the all the changes? <laughs> Well, so uh, I'm Nick Dukoff on Twitter. My last name is spelled D-U-C-O-F-F. -F, and I have two lists that you can follow where I've been uh, kind of curating folks uh, to follow. I think one is uh, higher ed innovators and the second is, you know, kind of smart student loan people or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, they're kind of segregated between folks that generally talk about like the financial uh, piece and, and others that talk about like the higher ed innovation piece. Mm -hmm. Great. Oh, and, and we'll put a link to that as well so that if people are scrambling trying to write that down or search for it, we'll have we'll go straight there. Uh, last question here, sort of a parting thought. What's one piece of advice that someone could take away and pass on to a student or family? Who is that someone? Uh, so so whether they're an admissions counselor or an independent counselor, uh, what should they pass along? You know, that, that the vast majority of time, college is a great investment. Um, you know, depending on the way you look at it, uh, the, the wage premium is as much as a million dollars or more than uh, a high school graduate without a college degree. Um, that translates to about 14% annualized over the course of a career. That's two times the stock market return. So, you know, there are just not that many investment classes that you can, um, you know, invest in and, and make that kind of expected return. Um, college is typically a great investment. So kind of uh, try not to, um, you know, get up caught up in all the noise and, and do your homework. And if you do your homework and, and make a smart college choice, it, it can change your life. That's a great way to end. Uh, well, thank you, Nick. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I, this was a great conversation and I appreciate all your insights. Thanks, Will, and thanks everyone for joining today.